Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network. We dive deep into Arbo's most Canadian work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Void 7.4. Uh, Blake's back, baby. And he uh, <laughs> wakes up to find Rose and Corviday standing there smiling at him while Ty and Tiffany have bled themselves on the floor to bring him back. I can't believe I've spent like over an arc just saying Blake needs to stop using his friends and just drain them and, and mm. leave them somewhere safe. And now it's finally happened and <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, wait, this is classic Wild Bow shenanigans. Yeah. I, I spend ages rooting for something and then it happens and I'm like, oh no, that was terrible. Yeah, I think the fact that blood is involved makes it worse. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I prefer Blake kind of passively drawing energy rather than like vampiring them and they get knocked out. Um, so I think for me, I, I for me, it, it's how it went down. Like, I think I would have been fine with this if, like, it, it is still a bit gruesome, a bit grim, but if it had been like, you know, Blake says, hey, you mm. could do this and... And they sort of knowingly consent and drain themselves and, and Blake was involved and walked them through it. It's kind of all okay. But the fact that it was happening, like, you know, because they felt that it was that dire. And, um, I mean, we'll get into the whole where Rose is at argument uh, later in this chapter, I think. But because Rose was the one directing it, it just feels a bit skeevier to me. Like, it's, mm. yeah, I guess because Blake wasn't around to... to kind of you know verify that they were really cool with this yeah i yeah i don't know i don't know i i think it's just weird i mean it works so <laughs> you know i guess it was the right thing to do um yeah also i remember at the end of last chapter you were like oh wait is rose out because corviday is next to her but no corviday is just in the mirror which is interesting because it's like he doesn't have mirror-based powers like we knew bloody mary was in there because she's the fucking mirror demon or whatever mm. But Corviday, as far as we know, is, isn't doesn't have anything to do with mirrors. So is it like, does he just have this power, or is Rose like able to just pull her servants into the mirror dimension now? Is she stronger? I, I don't know. It's a weird. It feels like it's a hint towards something. Yeah, yeah it definitely does because it's not just Corviday, but later on, um, the the oily monster who I'll be referring to as Hexus, uh, <laughs> also jumps out of a mirror and yeah. and kills whatever yeah. the fuck that thing was uh so yeah it does feel like she's either got some sort of ability to help them all or they like she coincidentally just got a bunch of monsters that can do that anyway which yeah. seems a bit unlikely but i don't know well she was kind of looking for ones that thematically fit with her which is how she got bloody mary so maybe there is just she just google searched mirror and and this is <laughs> what came up um but i don't know maybe yeah Anyway, uh, so um, things things get worse. The blood, you know, wasn't enough to bring Blake back by himself, by itself. So Blake also had candles poured into his wounds to, to help heal him. Um, also, it turns out Fel is confirmed as dead, kind of. Yeah. So it's hard not to read into this that it's like we've spent the last few chapters talking about how Blake is becoming like more ruthless and, and sort of a bit less or a bit more heartless. Mm. um and stuff and now parts of him are literally being <laughs> turned into wax or he's literally you know parts of him are literally now made out of wax like that yeah that he's, doesn't feel like an accident he is losing his humanity a bit here i suppose <laughs> um yeah no it's interesting yeah because because he was so fucked up that he had to be brought back in two ways <laughs> which i love um although it, it seems mm. to have he actually seems to be in the best spot he's been in for a while. He actually seems like, oh, shit, I actually feel pretty good. 
Like, yeah, know. well, something that he kind of skims over later in the chapter is, is obviously as they run up the stairs to check on Laird uh, towards the end of the chapter, mm. he outruns Maggie, Rose, and the Tallow Man, like mm. taking two steps at a time, which is not something he's been able to do for about two and a half yeah, arcs. Yeah, two arcs, three arcs. Uh, <laughs> he was he basically had to power walk his way away from the abyssal, de- uh, the the erasure demon before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's uh, yeah, I mean. I guess I'd argue that fixing yourself by converting a huge percentage of your body to wax is yep. kind of like curing your wounds with glamour. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, whatever it takes, I guess. Uh, yeah. Like, beggars yeah. can't be choosers. One other fun little cute bit is uh, Rose got Evan to go to sleep by convincing them that it might help Blake get better sleep, which is just like a cute little lie. <laughs> I love it. I also love that he can sleep. It just turns out he doesn't really have to. And so- yep. Because this isn't the first time that we've heard that Evan was, like, just being real irritating. Yeah. Uh, and so I love it. It's, like, it's such an eight-year-old thing that he would never want to go to bed. Mm. Uh, but he, so does this mean Evan in the dream world, like, like you know, when Blake was in the dream world at the end of last chapter, I'm just going to assume that that was the actual Evan, like, in the dream with him. Like, yeah. until, until, it's, until it's proven otherwise, I really like that idea, so I'm going to hold on to it. Yeah. No, I, I like it too. The idea of Evan, that being, you know, because Evan was obviously asleep at the same time, I, I, I kind of hadn't, that hadn't clicked for me, but I quite like it. Although, does that mean that um, Evan is just hanging out with Mrs. Lewis now <laughs> inside the dream? Blake's woken up and Evan and Mrs. Lewis are just chilling there together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's a horrible thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so yeah, Fell is dead, kind of, mostly dead. Short of you know, Miracle Max, he's 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 gone. Yeah. Um. Man, that's a bummer. Uh. uh, mm. uh he, he's he's not gone, gone. Uh. Which which makes me think we might see him again. Yeah. Um. I actually was also thinking, you know, I I've predicted that Blake might die at some point, mm. and just the image of Blake like waking up in whatever afterlife he ends up in, and the first thing he sees is Fell. Uh, it's just such a hilarious idea that, like, even if Fel is dead, I, I, I could totally see that happening, and it'd be fucking hilarious. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Um. So of course things are still getting worse here. Uh, Conquest has used the three days that he's got to basically ground the city to a halt. There's storms. There's snow. There's power outages. All the human population are inside. And that means basically others and all kinds of monstrous shit is roaming the streets at the moment. Yeah. And I mean, this brings me back to my whole is Blake the baddie uh, rant I went on half an arc ago or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, obviously, you know, we've talked about how keeping conquests away from the Diabolists is probably like the right call, even with all of this going on. But mm. it certainly feels like we've taken a pretty, pretty messy route to end up mm. uh where we are considering it's still looking pretty good that Conquest ends up with the Diabolists anyway. Yeah, I mean, he's still kind of in the winning position, right? Um, yeah. he, he has been basically winning ground the whole for the past three days, despite the fact that he's not able to directly do anything. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's like what Missile said in the Dream World. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Conquest is, has really turned the tables and Blake needs to strike now, apparently. He's, he's really taken her, her word on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I want to touch on how Rose said no to getting Fel's soul back, right? Um, it mm. Obviously, the, it's not as simple as just, hey, say yes to this and Fel comes back to life. There's obviously a lot of complications there. But I, I do think it's it's not beyond the realm of possibility that they could have done something to help Fel here. I, 
It does feel a bit cold. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I I, I kind of have to agree with Rose's logic here, and I mean it's you know it's convincing enough to even make Blake not argue with her. So mm-hmm. you know it it must be pretty good. But this idea that you know they just give them fell soul and they wouldn't have a way of containing it, so it would just disappear, uh, yep. is very believable. Well, yeah, but you can set up terms like if they make a if they make an arrangement that's like, oh, you give us fell in a state that means we can bring him back, you can kind of make these deals, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. This is a world where you can force people to play by <laughs> rules that you establish in deals. So, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it was right. I, and I, I'm sure there would have been tricks and catches to any deal they made. I, just does feel like not even going to... Not even going to consider the the option to save his life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. I don't know. Mm. It yeah, fell fell died fighting conquest. That's that's honestly wait not the worst way for yeah, him to go. Yeah, that's how he right? wanted to go. I think. <laughs> um, so uh, Blake and Rose are talking about you know good plans and bad plans and whether they have any plans. Um, and also they there's this bit where they kind of pick up that there's a discrepancy in their history. So in Rose's history, she says she was named as the first heir. Molly wasn't named as the heir. Yeah, which my immediate thought on this, like Blake pings onto it as somewhat important as well. And uh, yeah. he doesn't let himself dwell on like why. Like he, he accepts that Rose doesn't want to talk about it and he's he's got bigger fish to fry at the moment, yeah. basically. But uh, I was immediately like, well, so what is she, like, does she just have a missing four months then? Like mm. if she was named... The heir, then, like, would she have four months of memories of being the heir mm. or not? Like, it's, it, like, it, you know, that, that really doesn't add up. There's, there's something more going on here. Yes. And so I, I didn't really pick up on this inconsistency. It didn't, it didn't seem strange to me. But then I was like, yeah, you're right. And then I went back and I pulled a quote from 1.2. And when, when, when they're, when Blake and Rose are driving in the car to, to Hillsglade House, um, Blake asks, how do your memories line up? Molly got picked, but you were at the house? And and Rose says, I was home with mum and dad. They're mad, you know, obviously, because I didn't get Hillsglade house, and they thought it was as close to a given as you could get. Mad at me, especially. Um, so, <laughs> something's going on here. <laughs> like, she's either, yeah, I mean, I guess she can't lie now, so she was lying then? Unless she lied about not being able to lie, which... Mm. I mean, well, now I'm now I'm getting like tin foiling. Now we're getting tin foiling. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, like that would be a very good lie to mm-hmm. make. Like if you if you were able to convince Blake that you couldn't lie and you you know were careful enough about how you lied to keep him believing that, like that's mm-hmm. uh, it's a very good strategy for helping him to trust you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I mean, that could be it. But I'm more inclined to believe that maybe she was lying back here. Uh, but why would she lie? 2. What like what's the motivation? Y- yeah, I mean, I've talked a lot about how I think she knew more about the situation and had more contact indirectly with Granny Rose. And now I guess I've got a four month window to which to claim that she did all of that. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Anyway. Um. So. Uh, as they're as they're heading out, Rose explains she summoned a few more uh, not demons, um, <laughs> including Corviday, obviously, uh, who who has basically done his thing to turn the sisters of the torch and the astrologer against uh, against each other by getting the sisters uh, like flame elemental to attach itself inside one of the astrologer's devices that she obviously wants to hold on to. Now they're at, now they're kind of fighting internally. 
Yeah, and, and Blake's kind of annoyed at this because they're the two groups he reckoned he had the best chance of, like, turning or, or you know, not being outright antagonistic towards. Um, but he, quote, bites his tongue uh, since he's not trying to be like Rose was after her multi-day nap because obviously she just woke up and was like, why did you do this? Why did you do that? That was stupid. Mm. This was stupid. Uh, and Blake didn't really appreciate that. So <laughs> at least he has the insight to not, uh, just immediately call everything she did into question uh, because it irritated him when she did that. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, I don't know if Blake is right to be annoyed about this, honestly. Like, this is this is a good play. Rose did a, a nice, <laughs> non-lethal, non-combative way that basically took two of Conquest's champions out. Like, completely, right? And Blake's pissed off about it. It's Because it, he was, what? Because he thought he could turn his enemies against him, which he kind of tried and didn't, wasn't able to do. Like, this was a great, this was probably the best and least amount of, of collateral and least amount of, like, fallout option that, that, that any of them have ever taken throughout the entire story. And, and Blake is pissed off about it. Yeah, and I mean, part of that's probably because Corviday was involved and he has yeah, ser- totally. serious issues with uh, Corviday uh, that are made clear throughout this chapter. But uh, I'm beginning to think it's becoming a bit fair to say that Blake has a is a bit of a control freak when it comes to a lot of this Cabal yeah. stuff. Like, he was already sort of giving off vibes like that before his, his three-day nap. And, and there's very much a sense of he doesn't really approve of much of anything that went down while he was... Uh, asleep yeah and i mean often there's some some valid reasons for that but it does sort of feel like all of the time it comes down to the fact that he didn't get to have a say in it and and so he just doesn't yeah, like it totally i don't yeah, know i get that vibe too which maybe i don't know maybe we're being harsh on blake here because this is there's a lot of context to this but still this feels like a i don't know a, a pointless thing to be pissed off by <laughs> as i said i think there are usually decent reasons for him to be uncomfortable with most of these things but yeah um it just even before he was asleep there were some moments where it just sort of felt like he he really did feel like the leader and he didn't like it when when people weren't consulting him uh and and that does seem to be that is a little vibe i'm getting here um anyway i just wanted to put this one line uh where evan is like oh blake you're awake and blake says thanks to my friends and rose sort of coughs mm-hmm and Blake responds, I'm counting you among them. Uh, don't be silly. And and this, like, genuinely takes Rose aback. <laughs> yes, like, in the text, like, it's the hell? italicized. She seemed genuinely taken aback <laughs> yeah. by that, as opposed to what all the other things that she does have, like. <laughs> oh, I just, I mean, yeah, that, actually, that's a good point. I never thought of that. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I've read this, like, ten times now, yeah. and it's still fucking It's hilarious. very funny, like, yeah. It, it's, it's, um... It, I was just like, oh, Rose, like, oh, Blake, like, yeah. both of you, like, you know, of course, Blake is confused that Rose doesn't think that they're friends. And of course, Rose doesn't think that they're friends. Like, Blake yeah. has done a lot of bad shit to her. Um, But, you know, and there's more to this that he kind of goes into later. And yeah. I guess we will as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. The theme of whether uh, the theme of, of Blake seeing Rose and Maggie as his friends, even though he... It feels like he can't <laughs> trust them. Is is very I don't know. It's interesting on this chapter. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Rose and Blake are kind of going to find Maggie next. Um. And they kind of disagree whether or not going after conquest straight away once they team up with her is a good idea, which obviously is what Mrs. Lewis told Blake to do. Yeah, and and I mean 
Blake hasn't really been forthcoming uh, with Rose about that. Uh, yeah. So I, I think it's a little fair for her to just be like, what, you just want to charge in? Like, that's fucking dumb. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think this argument is fair, given that Blake is not sharing all the information he has. Mm. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, the, it feels like we're getting to the point of the story where everyone's starting to keep a lot of secrets from each other, right? Yeah, well, there's there's trust issues going around that lead to Yeah, people, they're really going uh, around. <laughs> keeping keeping secrets, which, of course, leads to more trust issues. Yeah, so, so Blake's starting to get really paranoid about Rose. Uh, because obviously Blake knows now that Rose seemed to know about the place switching stuff and told Conquest. So, yeah, um, and, and we've already touched on some of this, but I think the the bit that really stood out to me during this whole internal freakout is he really thinks back to, you know, arcs two and three. He doesn't think of it in that terms, but that's the time he's thinking of, uh, that she, Rose was almost trying to hate him and he was mm. making it hard. Mm. And I like. I mean, I I kind of think this tracks. Like, I think I even you know spewed some nonsense about that back at the time. <laughs> like when yeah, um, when I was saying that Rose was meant to replace Blake. Um, yeah. Although I think I was talking of it more of a merger back then. But mm. um, it it did sort of feel like she didn't like the moments when Blake was being kind to her, and and I speculated that maybe it had something to do with her not wanting to feel attached to him. Mm. And, you know, I guess Blake is now wondering that as well. And, mm. you know, I guess we'll see. Yeah, he, he seems to be really going down that train of thought, right? He he thinks to himself at one point, Rose was stronger. I wasn't so sure I could stop her if she decided to send her monsters after me, which basically means Blake is already starting to think about contingency plans for what happens if or when Rose betrays him. Yeah, and he follows this up by mentioning that he wasn't lying when he said he consider- considers Rose a friend. Yeah. And so I think like, this is really saying a bit more about Blake than it is about Rose. Uh, yeah. Because, uh, like, we know Blake has issues forming intimate, like, connections or relationships with people. Like, mostly, I think a lot of the focus there, uh, at least for, for us, has been, like, f- on physical relationships. But, yep. um, you know, in the dream chapter, also in the dream sequence last chapter, he did sort of mention how he doesn't want to, like, oh, he wants to be a bit of a hermit, you know, and, and go out and see his friends every now and then, but largely he's he's happiest on his own. And, like, I think this sort of tracks with that to me. Like, I'm yeah, sort of like, well, sure. yeah, he, um, you know, he does consider Rose and Maggie friends, but he also doesn't trust them because he just sort of has trust issues, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so th- I think I think this is really saying more about Blake than it is about uh, Rose. Yeah, that's true. I, I think the the last bastion of Blake's connection with Rose is that, she shackled herself for to conquest to kind of prevent Blake from that. And and this is the thing that Blake comes back to is like, okay, this is the piece of evidence that means that she's actually on side. Yeah, and because he, he, he goes through this and then he actually turns back to some reasons she might be against him and then he sort of has to swing back and be like, no, 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 mm. she chained herself up. I have to hold on to this, which I'm not saying like 100% believe this or anything, but you could take the grim argument that it was self-serving because- Right after she did it, she sort of said to Blake, I could see from the look on your face, you were never going to do it. Mm. And so, you know, if she knew she was going to replace Blake, then, she, you know, she would have known that that wasn't going to go well for her if if he wasn't going to do it. So, you know, there's that part of you that's like, well, do you, was she just reading the room? Um, I mean, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just sort of being a bit of a, a, a lawyer's advocate. advocate. Um, yeah. 
so they're, they're on their way to, to meet up with Maggie and they pass by some others that are out on the street and Rose basically full on like SEAL Team 6 takes them down by sticking <laughs> these, uh, all the others that she's kind of built up on them. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it kind of validated Blake's concerns a little bit. Like she's, <laughs> she's really fucking ruthless and efficient and brutal and- yep. I mean, also badass. Like, let's be honest, it yeah. was pretty cool. She full uh, on, yeah, takes them all down <laughs> very easily. But uh, there was definitely, I was definitely like, okay, I can see why Blake's a little bit afraid of her now. She's she's pretty fucking hardcore. Like, this yeah. is insane. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But Blake obviously takes this and thinks, oh yeah, she's gonna fuck me up. Uh, or she could easily fuck me up. Which, yeah, I get it, Blake. But I don't know. She's she's as far as we know, she's never actually acted against you blake so i don't know cut her some slack yeah yeah mm. they reach uh rose's evidence that things have gotten worse and that they can't go after Con- conquest right now and it's basically conquest warping toronto around his tower yeah well i mean you know we know he's a movie fan from that weird uh i've forgotten yeah. the, what movie she, it was the, referencing challenging death to yeah a contest. yeah so I guess I guess we can add Inception to Conquest's list of uh, yeah. all-time greats. I love the description of of it looking like Conquest's tower is a fork that's twirling up sp- the spaghetti of Toronto. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is Rose's evidence. I don't know, like, and this to Rose indicates, hey, maybe Conquest isn't actually just as much of a facade as we thought he was. Um, and I get this means he's strong, but like, there's no there's no other play here. I don't think. Like, other people are going to get fucked up if they do nothing. Uh, Conquest is going to get stronger and, and kind of consolidate his power. And, you know, they're just going to slowly lose assets one by one. Um, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's any other possible option. Yeah. But again, we're sitting with this knowledge that that's what Miss Lewis said and Rose doesn't really have that. Um, sure. But, no, I, I get what you're saying. But then also, like, you know, if somebody went and told me to fight like a 10 foot grizzly bear in hand-to-hand combat Mm. um with the reasoning being that in in a year it's going to be a 14 foot grizzly bear i still wouldn't want to fight it you know like Mm. just just because the odds are going to get worse this doesn't mean the odds are good yeah Uh, and i could see rose's inclination towards trying to wait it out and come up with some uh left field solution like I, i think that's essentially her plan yeah well, yeah, I suppose that that feels like a very Rose plan, but I don't know. I mean, they've lost Fell, uh, and yes, Rose has kind of t- struck some blows to the to some of the other champions, and Laird is for now <laughs> locked up. Um, <laughs> but it does feel like they're just gonna slowly keep losing, regardless of what Mrs. Lewis said. Like Conquest just has the resources, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess Rose is hoping that she can find some summon or, or get Blake to loosen the rules so that she can summon something uh, yeah. that will make a difference. Like, I guess you got to keep in mind that from Rose's perspective, she knows they're sitting on stuff that they just don't want to use. Yeah, that's I don't know. true. That's true. I yeah, <laughs> maybe her plan is to let things keep getting worse until Blake just breaks his uh breaks his his moral code and just summons some really horrible shit to take care of it. Yeah, I mean. Could be. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so Blake and Rose eventually arrive and Maggie's caught in a fight with a few wraiths and Rose, you know, quickly and cleanly takes care of it. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately, in the scuffle, Maggie thinks she might have let something through, which is probably up with Laird right now. 
And so my favorite bit of this is that, like, Rose's minions come in and just fucking, like, literally destroy two of the Wraith. Uh, The third one's taken care of by uh, (laughs) JP, who just goes and has a quick chat with it, and it fires off with a purpose. Yeah. Which is just, like, it's so creepy. Who knows where the fuck it's going? (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's even worse than the idea of just them being completely obliterated. And, like, I think Blake shudders. When he sees uh, Corvette do this, and I was just sort of like, I was on the same page. I was like, that's that's somehow much more terrifying. Mm. And then also yeah. Maggie has the hyena now, which does not impress Blake or Evan. Yeah, that's pretty grim, right? I mean, Blake even has the thought of like, oh, this is why she made Evan go to sleep, so that she <laughs> yeah. had the opportunity to do this, which is really, I mean, that's like a serious level of manipulation, if it's true. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's definitely putting a lot of, like, intentionality behind Rose, uh, Rose's manipulations. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a very grim outlook. Um, yeah. The other thing I want to call out from this section is, uh, so, you know, they, they sort of talk about how hectic the fighting was that Maggie was doing, uh, mm. you know, after they've sort of saved her. Uh, I'm not complaining, Maggie said. She flushed a smile and there was blood in the spaces between her teeth. She'd been hit. It was mm. disconcerting for her to be, what, excited while I was feeling so grim about this, so guilty. Uh, mm. And just, this really reminds me of exactly what Eamon was saying about Rose Senior in the end of his you know, history's interlude, like as she was capturing Barbatorum, like how terrified he was that she looked energized and excited by yeah. uh, offering her firstborn to a, to a <laughs> demon. Yeah. Uh, so... Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly what I want to do with that comparison, but I'm filing it away. Like, you know, mm. Maggie seems right at home in, in some of this. Yeah, in her element. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, I've always said how much I, I love Maggie and, and her whole energy, but I, I'm starting to wonder if, if Rose is really the one Blake needs to be worried about. Yeah. Um. So they they run up to check on Laird and he is free. Um, yep, and he's pretty Im- impressed with himself about it. So. <laughs> he's, oh my god, Laird, you can't ever not be smug, can you? He he could have had the chance to get away completely without them knowing, but he waited around just so he could see their face as he escaped. <laughs> like, Laird, you're a fucking psycho. Um, yeah, so he he also lets Pose free to with this kind of implicit understanding between them that Poos is going to turn on them. And Poos runs at them and just immediately gets put back in his book. It's like such a, a satisfying failure, um, which I think indicates Rose is like really getting good at this kind of stuff. She's really like, you know, I, the midge binding whatever failed um, or had some mm. tricks in it. But Rose has been really on point most of this, most of this time with all of this stuff. I mean, so far she's got like a whole crew of uh of underlings that yeah. seem to be working out really well. Uh, yeah. So I, I agree. Although I did, I did get a bit confused by this because obviously, like the whole point of Poe's coming out of the book originally was he knew the terms of the arrangement, and yeah. so like wouldn't he have known that this was coming? I was a bit confused. Like I wasn't sure if he was playing along at first. Um, yeah. My 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 theory is that it's that that. You know, they set up this circle and they set up a bit where, oh, if he gets out of this, he's going to go back into book form. And then he just kind of let him inside without letting him know about the other stuff. Although you're right. Maybe he would have known. Maybe it was just a pose ploy. Yeah. I Yeah. I don't know. Like, you know, it could have been in 
in the rules that yeah. he had to play along. I I don't know. Like I just I I would have thought he would be aware of what the rules were and and that he was breaking them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um anyway, Laird escapes. He he does a little time management trick to disappear. Uh and uh Rose seems bummed out for a bit, but Blake's like, "Oh no, this might be the perfect opportunity to test my theory on the Bahames." So Elliot, we've given you some time to think about it. What is the Baham <laughs> theory? Yeah, I, I was actually going to say, didn't we already have this cliffhanger? Like, I feel like <laughs> yeah. this is how six twelve ended. Um, we, but I guess that just means I've had more time to think about it, so it's even more embarrassing uh, when I'm completely wrong. Mm. So I think, like, I don't know. I've had a bunch of thoughts on this uh, that I've moved on from, but I'll just, uh, I'm just going to go through them anyway. Um, yeah. So my first thought, like back in the day, was that Blake had some idea of where the power might be being stored because obviously. The big thing we know about chronomancers, or at least the Bahames, is that they all, like, constantly pay this tribute and form, like, a well of power. Like, they, you know, so they have, like, a, a dam somewhere of power that, that they te- keep a tight lid on. Um, and so my first thought was that may- maybe Blake knew where it was and, and well, more, more who. I was wondering if maybe, like, you know, Laird slash Eamon slash whoever the current head is is, like, the, the keeper of the power. Um, but I, I don't really know what he'd be able to do with that especially since he just lost Laird so that that idea kind of got quashed by mm. this chapter so then I I think the next thing I latched onto was the idea that he still has the Stonehenge bracelet like it was last mentioned in 7.1 but the one he took from Duncan mm. I don't know if, I wonder if that's going to let him access the Bahames power um mm. and I don't I don't think he's going to be able to use it like I think there's probably more protections in place uh, I don't know maybe JP can fix that, but you know that yeah. he wouldn't. He wouldn't just be able to be like to use it because he's got the Stonehenge. But uh, mm. I mean, he's got Pose sitting here, and I wonder if he wants to poison the well, so mm. to speak, uh, or maybe maybe let it out. Like, because I, I guess the other thing we've heard about Chronomancers is if you stuff it up, there's fucking massive consequences, right? So, uh, could be interesting mm. if Blake somehow manages to force the dam open and like all the Bahamas just suddenly explode uh, <laughs> or turn into not... skeletons or babies or something. I mean, he doesn't really want to kill them, so <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't know that he'd be happy if that happened. But like, I could imagine just weird cracks in time for me around. Them. Like, mm. maybe this is a good thing because he's hoping Laird will go back to conquest and conquest might get caught up in whatever weird shit happens when uh when Laird just spontaneously uh emits some random time field i don't mm. know yeah i guess we'll see well i guess we'll see uh that's the end of our discussion on void 7.4 though um almost almost because it's time for us to talk about our discussion question that we asked what two chapters ago uh yes that question was practicing is such a flexible and varied profession what are some cool ideas for practitioner specialties we don't see in pact um mm. yeah uh, there are a lot of cool answers to this. I think I'm going to pull out the first one here, which is uh, Brawl97, who who was talking about uh, possessions um, and, and kind of mentioned uh, Vic, who obviously back in interlude, what, one, two? Uh, uh, two, the first the first one in arc two. Yeah. yeah. Um, back in arc two was using possession to, to get strength to play good football and, and uh, got, got, you know, in too deep. Um, yeah. But the the idea of of possessing a lot of different things in order to kind of gain their powers, uh, uh, Brawl ninety seven gave the example of murdering a shark and and being kind of absorbing its ghost a bit, uh, and this gives you what 
teeth regeneration powers and blood sniffing powers, right? Um, yeah, well, I think Brawl97 mentioned they just had their wisdom teeth out, so they really liked the idea of regenerative teeth uh, <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, I mean, I had that done a few years ago, and I, I get that. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I like this idea, because uh, uh, Brawl97 actually brings up that there's a lot of, um, like, historical lore around, you know, consuming things to get yeah, their power. Yeah, um, in, in various sort of cultures so like i do i do really like this sort of concept of being a practitioner who specializes in i guess borrowing the powers of other spirits uh yeah. through through consumption or, or other means uh it, it is pretty cool yes um actually hype uh, a user called hyperly passive pointed out that this <laughs> exists in in pact dice there's a I guess a class, I don't know, uh, called the host class, who, who's all about being inhabited by different weaker spirits that, you know, give you, you know, buffs of teeth regeneration or whatever it is. Um, yeah. God, I, I can't wait to get into Pack Dice the second we finish this story. I'm, I'm so yeah. keen. That sounds awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of cool world building in the, you know, the supporting documents for this stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, a user called Beard of Valor talked about uh, kind of taking something like a gem and and doing a lot of rituals with it over a long period of time to kind of put power into it, the same way you might put power into your domain or something, uh, and then kind of taking this gem and fashioning it into a ring or a bracelet, and you, you end up with these kind of powerful objects that you can then kind of sell off to other practitioners that just want to buy a, instead of having to, you know, awaken some friends, they just buy a special ring from Beard of Valor and use that as a power source or have some kind of... Uh, powers applied to it yeah well i really liked like bit of valor wrote a bunch about like through walking through this this really uh, intricate example case of a of a ring with a gem in it and sort of talking about like all the things you can do to the metal and the gem to kind of improve the symbolism of them so like purifying some of the metals to uh enhance you know the ability of the gold uh in it and and the symbolism there which i i really like and and how it fits into this sort of more like methodical and calm mm. approach to practicing than we get to see uh, in, in Blake's life. Mm. Um, like taking taking raw elements and kind of really focusing, like you know, it, it's kind of like a, a a very artistic approach to practicing. Like they think because the the example that Beard of Valor gave uh, sort of took all these different approaches to improve the power of the object. Like it was yeah. really about thinking of multiple different like symbologies and and all that sort of stuff to really uh in- enhance it in multiple ways. I just thought it was a really cool idea. Yeah, I especially like how it's a very it kind of reminds me of 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 rogues from Parahumans, right? Where it's you're kind of in this life but you don't you don't pick a a kind of combative lifestyle. You're picking a way <laughs> to kind of you use the knowledge that you gain but in a way that's for your own benefit or for kind of humanity's benefit rather than just fucking fight things. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, actually, again, Hyperly Passive points out that this resembles a class from Pack Dice, the Enchanter class. We really need to get into this stuff. Uh, would that I could uh, <laughs> soon. Soon. Yeah. Um, what else? I, I want to pull out one by Kipos21, who talks about uh, a practitioner who's kind of like a, a, a vampire, I guess, for want of a better word. Um, it basically goes around draining power from people by force or without them knowing, uh, in order to sustain themselves. Basically, the the evil version of Blake taking power from his from his cabal. I mean, yeah, it kind of it kind of strikes me as a hybrid of the two we've already talked about, mm. um, in, in a way. Yeah, I, I 
I like we we obviously saw some blood magic with with Tiff and Ty this chapter. I really think it would be cool to see a practitioner who goes around. I mean, not cool, horrible, but interesting <laughs> to see a practitioner who goes around like draining people and 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 kind of forcibly taking power from them, which would probably have some really heavy karmic back- backlash. But I imagine could be quite an interesting way to give yourself kind of temporary power boosts. Ah, uh, yeah it it definitely seems like a very dark kind of magic for sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think I think <laughs> I think the word Kipos twenty one uses is like as a, kind of a form of necromancy almost. Yes. And I think uh, necromancy doesn't invoke good imagery, and and you know I think that, that's fair <laughs> for this idea. It's, it's it's definitely a darker darker take. Yeah, um, I, not I, that that's a bad thing. I, I still yeah, like I it. mean there are evil practitioners too, right? But this does seem pretty yeah. grim for a non diabolist. Um, I, the last one I want to talk about was from uh, Groby46578, who was talking about uh, basically a practitioner who specializes in manipulating karma um, to the extent that they can kind of swap karmic burdens around a bit and, and do all kinds of tricky things. Yeah, which, I mean, wouldn't wouldn't Blake love to get his hands on someone like that? <laughs> yeah, right? definitely. Uh, <laughs> like, and I think uh, that, that's probably my biggest issue with this is it feels like too easy a fix for some yeah. really serious problems, like unless it was severely limited in, in some way. Uh, yeah. I, I like the idea. I do like the idea of it. I mean, we kind of, I think we talked about this back when we first found out about karma and people who accrued positive karma and then just went around being really lucky. Like, I really like the <laughs> idea of, of kind of luck-based karmic practicing. Um, but I think if you could do it to the extent that you, you know, swap Blake's karmic burden with, I don't know, someone who has a positive, with Isadora's karma, for example, which I assume is perfectly zero at all times. Um... <laughs> It feels OP. It feels like it would be a bit OP. Yeah, it does remind me a little bit of um, like Corviday. Yeah, uh, and and his thing Good of like John uh, Piker. Yeah, rearranging uh, like connections. Like, yeah, you know, it, I I think what what Groby was touching on is is a kind of similar idea. Yeah, yeah, I, it does give me some Corviday vibes. But Corviday is a very I think Corviday has a very interesting ability as well. Like the idea of of basically making things belong to other people on a universal scale is a very interesting <laughs> power. I think it would come with some really cool kind of tricks if we saw it used a bit more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But that's all the uh, all the time we have to talk about the discussion thread. Thank you, everybody, who left us uh, answers to our discussion questions. Um, if you want to talk about the stuff that was in this chapter, any of the stuff we talked about, or, hey, just anything at all that's packed-related, I guess, the best place to do that is in the discussion threads that we post every chapter. Uh, and this, the discussion thread for this episode will be linked in the show notes down below. Uh, and if you want more information on when our next episode's coming out or, or the next episode of any of the shows on the Doof Network, you can yes. find that on our calendar on doofmedia.com. Yes. Uh, there's a button there to get to the calendar and you'll be able to find out all about our upcoming schedule. Yes, uh, there will be some things on the Doof Media calendar that you you won't be able to find out about, though. Uh, you'll see the calendar event and you'll be like, hey, what's that? And you won't be able to know because, well, you won't be able to know unless you're a patron of Doof Media because there's some really great perks that patrons get. Uh, to find out what those are, head to patreon.com slash doofmedia. There's all kinds of cool things that people can get for backing the network at different levels. Um, but the biggest perk that you get is just a, a high five and a hug from me if you see me one per customer. <laughs> Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yes, and of course, don't forget to uh, think about patroning Wildbow as well, patreon.com slash Wildbow. Yes. Because uh, obviously, none of this would exist without his brilliant mind. Now, Elliot, will Wildbow give you a hug and a high five if you see him in person? I really don't feel comfortable making that claim for him. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> um, but that's all we have time for this chapter. Our next uh, chapter, talking about Void 7.5, will be coming out on Monday the 10th. So we will see you all then. See ya. Bye. Bye.